Recovery Elevator, episode 36. I know I will beat this. I'm just having a problem with the goodbye part. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for one year, one month, one week, and five days. On today's podcast, I've got Robert. He's actually back for his second interview. The first time I interviewed Robert was on episode 17. At that moment, Robert had five days of sobriety. From then till now, Robert has had a string of relapses, shall we say. And there is nothing wrong with that. Relapse is common in a lot of people's recovery. It was a large part of my recovery. For some people, they quit and that's it. They're done. But for myself and Robert, relapse was a common theme in our recovery. However, Robert is still in the fight. He is still struggling. And in a Facebook message that he sent me, he said, I'm having trouble saying goodbye. Like an old girlfriend at the taxi stand, having trouble saying goodbye to this love and obsession to return to a normal drinker. Robert, I understand it 100%. So we're going to hear from Robert. I think he's got under a month of sobriety, maybe even under 10 days of sobriety. We'll find out soon. And the topic of today's podcast is, there are four types of drunks. Which type of drunk are you? Before we get into the podcast topic of today, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. You know when you start the night out drinking with the same group of people and everybody goes tit for tat with their drinks, not everybody reaches the same level of drunk, and not everybody is affected the same by the alcohol. So you've all had the same amount to drink. You're at a bar. You look over. And your friend Mandy is just laughing hysterically. Your friend Ricky, he's captivating an audience of strangers that he's never met with some incredible story. And then there's Mitch, who's picking a fight with the bouncer because he won't put the Dodgers game on. And then we've got myself. I'm at the bar, chatting with a group of people, and you wouldn't know if I've had one shot or 50. My personality just really didn't change. So according to a Time Newsfeed article posted on July 17th, 2015, there are four types of drunks, and they are classified from these fun pop culture characters. Number one, we've got Ernest Hemingway. Number two, we've got Mary Poppins. Number three, we've got the Nutty Professor drunks. And number four, we've got the Mr. Hyde drunks. Let us know what type of drunk you are and why. Email us at info at recoveryelevator.com. I'm curious. So the first group of drunks, and actually the largest group by percentage, about 40% of the drinkers fell into the Ernest Hemingway category, named for the writer who famously boasted that he could drink hells, any amount of whiskey without getting drunk. According to people who knew Ernest Hemingway personally, he did not exhibit any signs of being drunk after consuming large amounts of alcohol. Now, you can cross roster, shall we say, but for me... I am the Ernest Hemingway drunk in a nutshell before we even get to the other categories. I do have a little bit of nutty professor in me. We'll get to that in a bit, but that was me. I remember this one time at Denny's after a night full of binge drinking. They're like, Paul, what did you think of last night? I was like, well, I think it was fun. My head hurts, but I really don't remember the majority of the night, so couldn't really tell you. And my friends are like, dude, are you serious? You, you were that drunk? You didn't seem that drunk at all. That's crazy. In fact, this just popped into my head. I remember on my first DUI, there were two officers in the room when I had to do the breathalyzer test. I took a large gulp of air in, blew out 0.16. One of the officers was like, darn it. Looked at his friend. It was like, yeah, you got me. And apparently the two of them had bets to see, you know, if I was over 0.08 and not only was I over 0.08, 0.16 is double the legal limit. And so one officer, trained by the law to observe signs of intoxication, lost a bet. He didn't think I was drunk at all. The other officer, he was the one that first approached my car when I rolled down my window. It was probably just like, poof, vodka mist to the face. I think it's fitting that I fall into the Ernest Hemingway category because I've always had an affinity with Hemingway. 
My senior year of high school, we were given a list of like 50 book titles to read to do a book report on. And of course, I chose For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway because it was one of my favorite Metallica songs. But after that, I fell in love with the style that Ernie Hemingway writes with and probably is a precursor to why I ended up in Spain, For Whom the Bell Tolls is about him being an ambulance driver in the Spanish Civil War. And in his books... He describes sangria, the famous Spanish drink. He describes bullfighting, the siesta, the whole lifestyle of Spain. Yeah, the majority of his books take place in Spain, and the main character just drinks a lot. And let me read this paragraph written by Ernest Hemingway about his drinking. P.P.S. Don't you drink? I notice you speak slightingly of the bottle. I have drunk since I was 15, and few things have given me more pleasure. When you work hard all day with your head and know you must work again the next day, what else can change your ideas and make them run on a different plane like whiskey? When you are cold and wet, what else can warm you? Before an attack, who can say anything that gives you momentarily well-being that rum does? I would as soon not eat at night as not to have red wine and water. The only time it isn't good for you is when you write or when you fight. You have to do that cold, but it always helps my shooting. Modern life, too, is often a mechanical oppression and liquor is the only mechanical relief. Let me know if my books make any money and we'll come to Moscow and we will find somebody that drinks and drink my royalties up to end the mechanical oppression. Damn you, Hemingway, and your abilities with the pen and paper in romanticizing that thing called alcohol. It's interesting with Hemingway that he actually criticizes people that work and drink at the same time. Apparently, there was a strict line between work and drinking. He never drank and wrote. The next alcoholic we have on the category of the four types of drunks are, we've got the Mary Poppins drinker, who's practically perfect in every way. Now, Mary Poppins is a character from the 1964 movie that seemingly can do no wrong. She's practically perfect in every way. And this person... Typically, it gets sweeter, funnier, and more attractive and more outgoing with alcohol. Now, there's something left out in this article. What goes up must come down. I'm sure the internal misery for this Mary Popkins-type drunk character is absolutely intolerable. The next morning after the previous night when they were the life of the party, getting so sweet and funnier with every drink, there's probably an internal misery with this Mary Popkins character that I don't want anything to do with. After Mary Poppins, we have the Nutty Professors of Drunks, named for the chemically altered academic with the second personality immortalized by Eddie Murphy. They, the study says, are natural introverts who shed their inhibitions with special vigor when they drink, showing a flashier and more social side. Now, this is where you can cross roster and be part of a couple teams here. When I first started drinking, I was that nutty professor. A couple drinks of alcohol took me out of my comfort zone, socially, big time. I immediately thought I was tall, good-looking, funny, good at sports, and could play the guitar well. And only a couple of those were partially true. And lastly, we have the Mr. Hydes. This is the evil twin who comes out when people drink. And according to the study, these are the people who are particularly less responsible, less intellectual, and more hostile when under the influence of alcohol. I can definitely see myself dangling a couple toes in this swimming pool because I am definitely less intellectual when I drink. I think everybody might be. Not so much hostile. I definitely got in a couple skirmishes while drinking, but I wasn't the guy who wanted to fight when drinking. And sure, drinking and driving is incredibly irresponsible. I don't know. I could be wrong. I got most of the stuff done that I was supposed to be doing while drinking. So of the four categories, I'm definitely the Hemingway, a little bit of the Nutty Professor, and a slight bit Mr. Hyde. So this magical tincture called alcohol will affect everybody's personality different, including normal drinkers. But what's going to be the same for everybody is the outcome, really. If you do become an alcoholic, the consistency is we've all gotten our asses kicked by alcohol. We try to control it. We try to put silly rules in place like I'm only going to drink Friday and Saturday. When that doesn't work, we go to only beer. And when that doesn't work, well... We tend to just have a case of the fuckets, and all the wheels come off fast. Whether you're Hemingway, Mary Poppins, The Nutty Professor, or Mr. Hyde, the outcome is really all the same. And I've said this before in previous podcasts, I really, truly believe this whole alcoholism thing only has three outcomes. You can either get sober, you can also get sober in an institution, that's another outcome, or you're going to die from it, whether that be in a car wreck, suicide, 
where your body simply just shuts down because of the amount of poison you're putting in your body. Oh yeah, and let me introduce the next type of alcoholic or drunk that I want to be. That's the recovering alcoholic, the sober drunk. I might have to look up the definition of drunk. I think drunk means you're actually inebriated, but that's the type of drunk that I want to be, the one that doesn't drink. So the fifth one that really isn't that fun and glorious to write about and that doesn't usually make a lot of headlines is the recovering alcoholic, the recovering drunk, the sober drunk, whatever that may be, the alcoholic who has the courage to wake up every day and not take that drink. And for one year, one month, one week, and five days, I've been number five on that list, the recovering alcoholic. I'm not looking that far into the future because the thought of not drinking for the rest of my life alone gives me a lot of anxiety. So I'm not even thinking about that. But for right now, today, I'm not going to drink. So let's hear from our interviewee, Robert. Robert, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Paul. Robert, thank you so much for joining us again. Listeners, as I mentioned earlier, Robert was on episode 17th, which aired June 29th of 2015. At that time, Robert had five days of sobriety. At this moment, Robert has nine days of sobriety. He decided to quit. Well, he quit again with relapses on October 10th, which is another special day for you. Am I right? That's right. It's my birthday. Good day. That is a great day mm-hmm. to get sober and stay sober. That's right. Yeah, I love it. So, Robert, for listeners who maybe haven't listened to episode 17, give us just a quick background on yourself. Maybe how old you are, do you have a family, what you do for a living, your hobbies. Tell us a little bit about Mississippi State football. Sure. My name is Robert Stedman. And let's see, I, I go way back with drinking. I started drinking when I was in high school and I um, had the gene. The gene runs through many generations in my family. And I started drinking in high school and then, and then college. It got heavier in college. My drinking pretty much started normal. It kind of got steady and then it got crazy towards the end. And it's just, uh, it was just something that just sort of escalated. It very casually escalated each year until it got out of control and the wheels fell off. Probably the uh, maybe the last 10 months, probably, the wheels just came flying off. That's my drinking. And as far as me, um, I'm from the South. love being from the South. I like to travel. Um, you mentioned Mississippi State football. Love my, my bulldog. Went to college there, graduated with a business degree. And uh, from there, I went into a family business. We're an art reproduction company. My dad's an artist, and I do the re- reproduction process. I take his art and I work with it in Photoshop and I take it and print it out on canvas and I frame it and then we sell it. And we uh, we have a lot of hospitality jobs and we also do retail local. So that's me in a nutshell. For the most part, I have a son. He's 10. Um, I'm happily married. My wife is – I'm happily married now. She's getting a little frustrated. <laughs> but um, she's, a, she's a trooper. I will say that. She looked at me the other day on, on probably my – whatever relapse it was. And she says, you know, I'm not letting you go. I'm going to make damn sure that you get this cure. I'm not leaving you. Oh. She said, I'm going to make sure you figure this out. So she's awesome that way. And uh, I respect her for that. And it's making me um, feel kind of, you know, there's a lot of guilt there with me because I'm, I'm probably real frustrating for her. And her mom just got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And she went through that with her dad. Her dad died of Alzheimer's probably you know, was about five years ago. And then her mom just got diagnosed with it last two weeks ago. And so bless her heart. She's got a lot to deal with. And it's, it's making me realize that my alcoholic ways are just not really cool. You know what I mean? They're not, I'm being extremely selfish. Anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with all that. As far as my little quick biography, I mean, bio of me. Step one of the selfish barometer is admitting that we're selfish. So nice job on that. Robert, we have something in common and that is that relapse is part of our story. Relapse for Mm -hmm. me in 2014, I'm looking at your timeline that you just sent me, and we'll get to that in Mm -hmm. a second. Yeah, mine mirrors your timeline to the T, except it's just a year prior. And Recovery Elevator, I'm going to say it here. I said it in the Recovery Elevator private accountability group. Robert, when you have one year of sobriety, I'm flying out to Mississippi, and I'm hoping you get one year of sobriety in the fall so I can experience this SEC Mississippi State football, go to see a tailgate game, and it's not like in January of 2016 when I come out and we can't watch football. No, No, I can't do that to you, Paul. 
You, you just can't. You it's can't, be, Robert. It's, it's got to be in the fall. It's got to be in the fall. So I've got to get my. I got to get myself together here because it's got to be in the fall. You've got to come down here for the SEC because it's <laughs> it's uh, football in the SEC uh, on a fall Saturday is unbelievable. You will love it, guy. Right. You will love it. Yeah, and and do me a solid. Don't drink till next summer because I'm not going to come out in the summer of 2017 because <laughs> I hear it's really freaking humid in Mississippi in the summer, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm going to make sure to drink in the middle of July so you can come down here and experience that. Yeah, well, you don't want to do that bad. Yeah, yeah. You know, I looked on Kayak and it said, you know, that's the airfare site, and it said 95% buy with confidence for the flight, for the airfare for August 10th of 2015. I almost pulled the trigger, uh, Robert. I almost pulled the uh, trigger. Don't don't pull the trigger. Don't do it. I'm way too unpredictable. Don't pull, <laughs> it. Don't pull, it. Don't pull any triggers. Oh, that's that's funny, but I'm not joking, Robert. You're gonna get sober and you're gonna do it. But let's go through your relapse timeline. You 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 sent me this. Okay, on May 14th, you told your family about your addiction to alcohol, and that was the catalyst to your recovery. That's when you started. And then we go to June 11th. Relapsed as a reward because it was easy. And then from June 11th to August 15th, on and off drinking, made it to 14 days at one point. Now we're at August 16th of 2015. So start at outpatient therapy day after a big bottle of vodka and father fight. September 17th, relapsed after about 33 days of therapy. And then on September 17th to October 9th, on and off drinking. And boom, October 10th, happy birthday, Robert. You haven't drank since that day. That gives us nine days of sobriety. That's right. Yeah, walk me back to May 14th to June 11th. So we almost have 30 days of sobriety relapsed as a reward because it was easy. Now, as a reward, that's your addiction lying to you in your own voice in your brain. But it was easy? Tell me about that. When I came out and told my parents and my family and and my sisters and everybody on on May the 14th that uh, I was an alcoholic, that took a lot out of me. That was an an emotional and exhausting day just to get that out. And so I think that what I did was um, we all talk about the pink cloud, and I, I definitely think that I rode that pink cloud for the first four weeks. So after letting everybody know, somebody described it to me. They said it's kind of like you have a big wall. It's like a big alcoholic wall in between me and everybody else, and I knocked a big hole in it. <laughs> and the, the funny thing about that is I've been trying to – fill that hole up ever since then. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. I keep trying to fill that hole up with water gushing out. I'm just trying to piece it back together. So uh, I did that on May the 14th. I told everybody, and I think I just kind of rode the wave of, I don't know, just kind of being, I felt so uh, relieved just to get it out. And so I rode that wave of relief for four weeks. And then when my my wife, I think she went out of town, and then uh, as soon as she went out of town, I, I had the house to myself, and I just rewarded myself with drinking. And I thought it was easy. You know, I said, this is uh, this has been so easy. I mean, I've, I've cruised through four weeks, and God, I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink tonight because it's easy. I can do this. I'm going to drink tonight, and then I will uh, pick up the pieces tomorrow and uh, cruise right through recovery from there. And uh, obviously, that didn't happen because – like my timeline said on June the 11th, after that, right after that, I continued to drink for several more months. After that, back and forth, back and forth. You know, I would go a few days and I would be sober a few days, and I would drink a few days. I'd be sober and then drink, and then be sober and drink. And that is very exhausting because when you do that, it's like a, you're like fighting the guilt of drinking, and you're also fighting the guilt of relapsing. So it's you got like a double whammy, and it, it wears on you. That's what I did there. That's what I did there. I, I, after that first uh, relapse, I just continued to drink for a good couple months and wore me out. Yeah, let's wore talk, out let's talk about you know, in between June 11th and August 15th, you had 14 days at one point. Now, what, I did. Yeah, what do you think the triggers are? Are, are you... I mean, when you say that you drink, the next day you're like, shit. Do you, do you think about like your emotional state you were the, the, the night before? It, it's tough. I, I will say this. During all this, we had a big transition with our family business during all this. Literally, like when I announced that I was done, that I was an alcoholic to everybody, like a month, like a, I think a, a month, maybe a week later, we made a huge business decision with our family. We have a family business. And, and I, I guess I'm trying to 
relate the two is because so many emotional decisions took place in in that decision for with our business and God, quitting drinking during all that was not a was not the best time to quit drinking or maybe it really was a good time because if I had been drinking like normal during all that I, there's no telling what I would I don't know if I would have pulled yeah. I would have screwed something up for sure so uh, that battle of, of <laughs> quitting drinking and the whole battle of uh, the whole transition of our business together may not have been uh, maybe it was all right actually because I don't know if I could have done that had I uh, been steady drinking that whole family business transition and quitting drinking just probably had a, uh, I don't know, it was a big whirlwind. It was just a lot of emotion going on there with all that. And I, I guess I'm getting back to your your question about the triggers. I think a lot of those were, were triggers because I was going back and forth. We were moving our company to another place. And so I was having to literally just drive by myself to the old business and pick up stuff and move it to our new business. And uh, a lot of that was a, a lot of time when I was by myself and just moving and you know you know what we think when we move stuff you know when you when you move you want to drink beer and eat pizza right oh, and so I had a lot of that going through my mind I'm like you know a lot of alone moments of driving my my truck and picking up some equipment taking it back to where we're, where we're moving and I was just like I could drink right now yeah you know I'm passing by the old reliable gas station and so I in a nutshell I drank during a lot of that drank during a lot of that and and, and so that that move took about three months. It was a big three month, probably a three month move. So um, a lot of that back and forth, back and forth of uh, just me and, and my truck and, and moving by myself and having a lot of time to think about drinking and passing by a lot of uh, gas stations that have alcohol and have beer. And so uh, that, those were the easy triggers right there, the back and forth moving. And so maybe I'm a little bit different. In the fact that I had to deal with all that, as far as all those the quitting drinking and then the moving, a big family decision with the move all at one time, maybe I'm a little unique there. I, I don't know, but triggers were everywhere, and I think the moving had a lot of those um, helped with the triggers. Let's go to August 16th. You started outpatient therapy day after a big bottle of vodka and mm. a father and father fight. Was that with a fight yeah. with your son or? No, my father, my okay. dad. Yeah, this is a good one. You got some time for this one? This Love it. Let's, story. let's do it. It's not really a good story, but it's uh, it's an, an important story for me. All right, so this was, uh, I, had gone, I had done the back and forth, like we said, after my first relapse until the time I started therapy. There was about two months there where I was just doing all kind of back and forth drinking. You know, I'd be on and off, on and off. You know, I'd, and, and like we said, I had gone 14 days at one point. And I think this was just after the 14-day period. And uh, so what I did was I had decided to drink on a Friday night. I think I was at work, and I decided, all right, I'm drinking tonight. I'm just drinking. I'm, I'm going to drink. Damn it. It's been a hard week. I've been moving. I'm tired. My wife's bugging me. Everybody was bugging me, and I'm, like, I'm just drinking tonight. It was that Friday night. I decided to drink, and I went to uh, Whole Foods, and uh, I went in there, got some beer, and then I, I, I was like, you know, our Whole Foods has the uh, the wine store next to it, the Whole Foods wine, or the, the liquor store, the Whole Foods liquor store. And I went in there to get, I thought, you know, I'm gonna get a, I got a six pack of beer, and I thought I may need a little bit more than just the, the six pack may not do it. Yeah, so it's rational I went in there thinking. To, oh, right, that's that's good old you know alcoholic thinking. And so I went in there and I said, I I need to get your smallest thing of vodka you got. Oh, I, and uh, the guy said, well, we don't. We don't sell small vodkas. We, we got the smallest thing we got is a uh, fifth. I was like, ooh, <laughs> okay. All right, well, give me a fifth of whatever. And I said, just give me whatever. You, give me something good and cheap. I said, so pick something out, good, cheap, whatever, pick it out. And so he, he picked me out something, and he came back. And for whatever reason, I think I ended up with the leader and not the fifth. So obviously he was a good salesman. So he, <laughs> he sold me the leader. He sold me the leader of vodka. So I brought that home with me, that and the beer. And so that Friday night, I drank, I drank the beer, and I didn't, I didn't touch the vodka, and I just drank the beer. The bad thing though is I hid the vodka because at this point, my wife thinks that I'm not drinking because this whole relapse, you know, all this, this whole relapse timeline, I'm hiding everything from my wife. It's real frustrating. Oh, okay, the but plot I'm hiding thickens. everything. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah, double duty hiding. You're trying to drink and you're hiding everything from your wife because you don't want her to worry. You don't want her to get on to you. All that stuff. So that Friday night, I drank I drank the six pack, didn't touch the vodka. So that next morning, I got up, 
this is just following a lot of the frustration of relapsing because it's real. God, it's real frustrating relapsing. And I had just had enough. And so I woke up that morning and I make smoothies every morning. That's the one healthy thing I do is I get up every morning and I make a, a smoothie and it's filled with spinach and yogurt and, and berries and, and, you know, lots of good stuff, carrots and apples, bananas. And, I, and so I make a great healthy smoothie every morning. Well, this morning I was exhausted. I had that, uh, I had that big old liter of vodka in there and I thought, fuck it. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. But I no, thought, you're it. good. You had a case of the fuck it's is what it sounded like. <laughs> I had that. I had the, the case of that. And I just said, I'm just, I'm going to get drunk today. It was a Saturday. It was a beautiful day. It wasn't too hot. My wife was sleeping upstairs. My son was busy playing in the neighborhood. And, and I just got up that morning. I had that vodka hidden. I grabbed it and I went in there to make my smoothie. Instead of using water in that smoothie, I put vodka. Oh, vodka in yes. the water. Hell yeah. And so uh, so I did that, made the smoothie, was drinking that, kind of working on my little buzz. Because I mean, I, was, I make big smoothies. And so I was over here on the computer. I was probably you know, in, uh, on the recovery elevator Facebook page. I was like <laughs> posting or something. Who knows? Yeah. But I was, I was doing all that and working on my buzz. And then right about, and this was probably 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, so that bus starts to kind of work. At that point, I knew my wife would be getting up soon, and my son was still out playing. So I was like, "All right, I got to get, get out of here." And so I, I left, and I went to the I went to left a note for my wife, and went to work where we were still we were still located in the old place. So I had a lot of excuses to go to work because we we're moving back and forth. So that was a great place to go and hide. So I went I went to work and uh, continued to drink, drink on the way to work, drank at work. And about this time, things get a little fuzzy. Because I mean, I was I was motivated to drink that day for sure, and so uh, I was tearing into this bottle, this big old liter of vodka, and um, not quite sure what I what I do know that I did was that I started for whatever reason contacting everybody. I had definitely the drunk dial, whatever you say. It, you know, when you get drunk and you want to dial people, <laughs> definitely had that going, had that going on for sure. Because I called everybody in my life that was associated with alcohol. I called them. I think that day, I called my aunt. To this day, she says she wants to replay me the message that I left. So I, I don't really want to hear that. I keep telling her, please erase it. But she wants to play me that message. Just anyway. And I called. I called my. I left an email for my priest. Told him that I wanted to meet with him. So I was just doing this all day. And and then finally, I did a group text to everybody in my family. Uh, I, I don't know, midday, I was probably starting to feel guilty. And I group texted everybody in my family. And I basically just said, I just want to let all y'all know that I've been drinking this entire time since my first relapse and I've been lying to all y'all and I'm sorry about it. I feel like I'm a piece of crap and uh, just want to let y'all know that. And so at that point, my phone starts blowing up, obviously. So I, so I text this out to all those people. My phone blows up. Everybody's calling me, wanting to know where I'm at, and this and that. And then for whatever reason, I think I decided it's going to be fun just to basically play a, a, a cat and mouse game. So now I'm just hiding from everybody. I'm riding around, brilliant. I'm riding around kind of around my office area drinking phones blowing up everybody's trying to call me to get in touch with me i've reached out to a friend i've reached out to a good friend of mine that's very involved in aa he's trying to get in touch with me my cousin who's very involved in aa he's trying to get in touch with me. so i've got about 10 people at the moment trying to find me trying to figure out where i'm at and i'm just playing cat and mouse having a blast with these people that leads me on to uh, – I'm good and drunk at this point, and that leads me on to a – just because I kind of panic, and I'm like, shit, how am I going to lose all these people? They're trying, I don't want to be caught right now. I've still got vodka to drink. And so I, I tear off into some sort of trail. It's just kind of like an old trail that leads into the woods. And I, I tear off onto that trail in my truck, and I make it probably – I don't know, maybe a mile into that trail, and I go across an old, this is drunk right here. You wouldn't normally do this, but there's an old raggedy bridge that I try to make it across in my truck, and uh -huh. I don't make it. I make it all the way across to the very end, and my truck falls literally into like a big rut, and it almost, I almost fall over and drop literally 20, probably 30 or 40 feet. This is an old bridge. Maybe it, it, this bridge may have held an old train truck. I'm not even sure. Jesus. I know. So I literally almost, I, my truck is like the, the, the right wheels of my truck are just sticking way up in the air and I'm sort of sideways. And so I crawl out of my truck, cut myself real bad, crawling out. I mean, a big gash on the side of my uh, stomach. 
and I get out of there, and I'm just and I and I, I remember I I get up, and I just kind of look around, and I'm drunk, and I'm looking around, going what the hell, and I, I, I'm 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 a good mile in the woods. I'm thinking I look, I look back at my truck, it looks practically sideways, and I'm just thinking, what the God, what the hell? And so my so at that point, I grab the rest of my vodka and I chunk it. I just throw it. Throw it all. I just get rid of it. There was a little bit left. Throw throw that away. And then I call. I have my phone with me, and I call my best friend, who's probably an alcoholic, but we won't say anything about that. I call him. He's like, "Man, Robert, I'll be right there." And so uh, he he comes, and I, I, I walk out. I walk. I leave my little area, and I walk, and I and I I, I get I get to him, and he's waiting on me out. And, and so we hook up together, and he's got, of course he's got beer. He's been he's been riding around drinking. So I, I grab his beer, and I'm drinking it. We're coming up with a plan, and and he he is even looking at me, going, "Damn, Robert, you need uh, you're looking rough, dude. You need to get to your parents or whatever. I think they're worried about you. They haven't tried to call me yet, but I mean, I'm I'm thinking that you need to get to your parents and your and your family because you're looking pretty rough. And we 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 got a we got a truck back there that looks like it's you know about to fall off a cliff. So we we got to figure some stuff out." And so me and him end up taking his truck back there, and we and we, we try to pull my truck out of the of, of the where it's trying to fall in, and we don't get very far. His his rope snaps, and uh, so finally I just look at my buddy and I said, "Look, just, just take me to my parents' house." And uh, he's like, "All right, you sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah, just just take me there, shit, just take me there." And so uh, I'm good and drunk, and I go there. And, and at that point, my family's all they're all rallying, you know, and they're all trying to figure out where I'm at. So they're all there, basically, is what I'm getting at. So I, so we pull up to my parents' house, and everybody's there. My my son's there, my wife's there, my parents are there, my sisters are there. They're all there, and I have to go into this house, you know, pretty drunk. I go into the house, and let's see, uh, they're all kind of looking at me, you know, kind of giving me that. They don't know quite how to handle me at that point. So um, they want to feed me, you know, so I, so I, I'm, I'm eating and then my son's talking to me and I'm, and I'm trying to kind of act pretty cool around my son, not weird. And my wife's kind of looking at me and my dad's, you know, kind of looking at me and everybody's just sort of looking at me like, I mean, they're just, they're worried and they're pissed and they're just, they got lots of emotion going on. And so at that point I'm like, dad, I need, I need to get my truck. I'm real worried about my truck. It's hanging off a the end of a bridge and I'm worried about it. Just, I just need to get to my truck. And he's like, all right, well, let's go, let's go get, let's go see what we can do. Let's go call a, a tow service or whatever. Let's just see what we can do about your truck. But at this point, you know, me, just to give you a little background, me and my dad have kind of, a, we're, we're opposites. We, um, we have a, an op, he's very, very, very smart, very, um, precise, very, uh, an artist. I'm one of those guys. I'm very, um, I'm a hard worker. I love to work. I love to dive into things and kind of get the job done. And he's more of a plotting kind of a guy. He likes to think about it and lay it out and all that. So we've had a lot of our work history in the past. has been button heads. We've butt heads a lot. And so when we were walking out to my truck, me and him, all of a sudden, I don't know what he said, but he said something that just pissed me off. And I think I've tried to figure this out and, and kind of think about maybe where I was going in my mind. And I think that I just, looked at him like a big bottle of alcohol. I don't know what it was, but it's just kind of like, I just wanted, I don't know what it was, but he said one thing to me and I looked back at him and I just grabbed him for whatever reason. And I just went crazy. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. I can't figure it out because I don't have a history of just attacking people, but I literally attacked my father and I grabbed him and I just, and I, and I kind of like threw him and slammed him up against the, the door, the front door. And that door was not shut. So we, when I slammed him up against the front door, we fell. He fell to the floor in the foyer. And um, at that point, when he fell into the floor, everybody was was there in the living room, which is right there where the foyer is. And so, as I grab him and we, he lands down. And then I, I literally pick him back up and, and shove him against the wall again. And at that time, my my, my wife's on my back I can still sort of hear her on my back and she's kind of clawing at my back trying to pull me off of my dad and then my mom's screaming my sister everybody's just kind of screaming at me to stop and I'm just looking at my dad I've got my arms sort of um clutched onto his shirt and I'm just looking at him I'm, I can't even re- it's it's kind of a blur to me but I do remember one thing and I, I remember this thing very clearly to my right was my son and he ran in and he just looked at me 
me. He said, stop, Daddy, stop. Daddy, don't be mean, Daddy, don't be... And, and I looked at him as he said that, and I looked over to my son, and for whatever reason, I just let go. And I and I looked at my son, and I said, Jack, come here. And I, and I, and I grabbed Jack, and we walked outside to, to the, to the uh, patio outside, and I just looked at him. I sat him down, and I just started talking to him, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, that's... That's a side of your dad that you'll you'll never see again. And I just was explaining to him in, in my – I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. I just had kind of like a I, – I felt wise. It's really weird. I can't explain it. But I just – just having my son say that to me while I was doing that to my dad, it's kind of like I don't – it's the weirdest thing how I was just able to shut down from that temper that flare-up that i was having and just go to my son walk him outside peacefully and just talk to him and i can still remember talking to him because he was um, behind the house and, and i was so i as i was looking at him i was also looking inside the house and there was a lot of commotion going on and they were all kind of moving around and they were all talking and i, I can still see kind of everything going on inside the house after i left all that and then i was just talking to my son very um peacefully and just kind of letting him know not to be scared i'm gonna fix myself and i and i kind of said that i presented that to him in a way that you know i dumbed it down a little bit for a 10 year old to hear and then and then i i did that with him and then i walked back in i apologized and basically i left with my one of my sisters and went home and and my my, my wife yeah so i i came my, my my wife came home and my sister came home with me and uh, my wife told me that she said, we're going to meet with the, uh, by the way, while you're out gallivanting around doing your whatever cat mouse game, I called a therapist and uh, we're meeting with him tomorrow. And so I said, I gave her a thumbs up and I said, I, I need, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I said, relapsing is worse than just being a steady drunk. Way I said, worse. Let's do it. Way worse. Robert, I got to say thank you for sharing that. That's got to be hard. It's got to be tough. And you can't really script that really. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing this in my head, like the southern back roads, a, a truck hanging off a bridge, a fight with you your it. father. I, I, I picture like a montage be, being played like at twice the speed, so like fast forward with like a banjo and a fiddle playing in the background. And it's, <laughs> it's not funny at all, but I mean, you can't skip it's that. Funny. It, I mean, a little bit, but but man, I, I you know I know I have very few answers to the great mysteries of life, but my hypothesis with that serene and peaceful moment that you had with your son. And then when you were able to go back inside of that room and apologize to your family, it sounds like you have a thing called a higher power within you that you're being yeah. more open to. And I don't think that's something we've chatted about in either of the two of our interviews is not really, are you religious or not, but are you open to your higher power helping you get sober? Uh, I am open. I mean, I struggle with the whole hype. I mean, I, I'm like anybody else, you know. I'm, I, I was born and raised Catholic, and uh, I'm very Catholic. You know, I do a lot with my church. But, you know, I, I do have those moments, you know, where I'm like, I mean, is, 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 uh, am I just praising somebody that doesn't exist? I mean, I, I have those moments, you know, where I, where I have disbelief. But for the most part, but the, while saying that, whenever there's anything going on in my life, I go straight to praying. I mean, it's an automatic for me. So I, okay. I do think that I believe. So as a Catholic, and, and I'm raising my, my son goes to a Catholic school, and we pay a lot of money for that Catholic school. All, a lot of our money goes to that. So, I mean, I, yes, I have a higher, I have an HP, and it's not Hewlett-Packard, but I have an HP, <laughs> and, I, and I'm very thankful for that. And I do think that played a big part in me being able just to flip a switch like I did in the middle of a, you know, I mean, anybody that's a drinker knows that when you get one of those drunk rages, that's hard to flip a switch. And for me to be able to do what I did with my son calling out my name and telling me, daddy, stop, daddy, stop. That's pretty miraculous. It, it, just coming from someone that's been in that situation before when I've been drunk with my friends and gone crazy and we've had fights, you know, I, I don't know how I did it. So Definitely a higher, a higher power has something to do with, with that, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, I got the HP, I think. Robert, you sent me a Facebook message a while ago that said you're having trouble saying goodbye, and I understand 100% what you mean with that because we all have this obsession to return to be a normal drinker because, hell, I had a yeah. lot of great memories while drinking alcohol, and the thought of really permanently saying goodbye 
is terrifying. And Robert, where are you at today with that? Are you still struggling to say goodbye to good old alcohol? Yeah, I am. I am. And I think that's been my main. My therapist is convinced that once I say goodbye, once I get over this, that I'm, I'm going to be a great student of his. He says I'm just, he's having the hardest time of me letting go. And, I, and I, it's, it's almost like I treat alcohol like a, a sexy lady in a red dress almost. And I'm having the hardest time of just saying goodbye to it. And uh, I think I'm recognizing that now. And I think that may help me. Um, he had me actually write a Dear John letter or just a letter. He said, Robert, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to act like alcohol is an old girlfriend or however you want to say it. And you're going to say, you're going to say goodbye to her or your buddy or whatever. Write that down. And I think this may help us. And so, um, yeah, so that's where we are. He's trying to figure out a good creative way for me to say goodbye to alcohol. Robert, I hope I'm wrong here, but maybe sometimes that sexy woman in that red dress for this letter, <laughs> she needs to cheat on you with your best friend. What I mean by that is, is maybe if that truck falls off that bridge and blows up, that uh. maybe you'll stop and, and maybe your elevator isn't done going down. And I hope I'm very wrong on this. I just hope like you're, you've had enough pain and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired that nothing else worse has to happen. Yeah. You know, it's funny because there's a feeling within me that I know I will quit. I know I will quit because there's no way I'm going to be, I'm not giving up on my family and, and I love my son way too much. And I love my wife and I love my family. I love my parents. I mean, I love, I have way way too much love to give all these people just to throw it away and become that guy in, in, in the gutter or whatever, a bum on the street. I know I will beat this. I'm just having a problem with the goodbye part. You know, maybe I'm lying to myself. I, I don't really know, Paul. I really don't know. I just, I feel like deep down, there's no way, there's no way I'm not going to stop. I'm just have a, having a problem with the whole stopping part. I think that's where I'm at. Sounds like you were also coming to terms with this being probably the most confusing thing you've ever confronted in your whole life is which I, the whole alcoholism thing to me is so baffling. It's so confusing. It is. But gosh, you got to get, I I have to stay sober. Robert, we have reached the rapid fire round and you did these same questions on in June for episode 17, but a lot has changed. And I imagine the number one, you know, and if you could answer these questions within 30 seconds, that would be great. Like I said, imagine a lot has changed. Maybe possibly the answer to number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Well, Hey, we got that. That was the, that was that, that day, the vodka day is what I call it. When I went crazy and, like a lot of vodka and I almost crashed my truck my, my truck almost fell off a cliff and and I fought my father or two, two months yeah that was the worst day all that was I said it earlier that was easily the worst day now for I have literally I have flashbacks in my head I can visualize my father's face and I can hear the sounds behind me of my of my my mom and my wife yelling at me and I can visualize my father's face and I can see my son's face as they as he looked at me. So, uh, yeah, that's my new worst memory hmm. of alcohol, and it's, it's a bad one. Robert, with nine days in the books, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? Keep going to AA meetings, do what my therapist says, because I've been kind of uh, butting heads with him a little bit on things. He, you know, he'll give me assignments, and I sort of halfway do them. So um, I'm trying to do what he says, no matter how, how bad my mind wants to tell me or my voice wants to tell me that, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. That's too much. That's too much. Don't worry about that. Yeah, I'm trying to combat that voice and just do what he says. And I, I do think that if I do what he says and I continue to go to AA meetings, I will figure it out. A switch will flip and I, I will figure this all out. That's, that's what I'm going to be doing. Robert, what's your favorite resource in recovery? It's still the recovery elevator. That's, that's, that's my go-to. Um, whenever I, I go to that Facebook page, the Recovery Elevator Facebook page, several times a day, and I love it. I love the input. There's so many people on there post, you know, just simple, simple phrases of encouragement, and then there's just people on there that are constantly posting that I love to read, and then there's people in there that are having a hard time. So that sometimes I will jump out of myself and try to help that person, and uh, I just love the, the Facebook. I mean, that is the greatest tool for me right now is, is that. Is that Facebook page, the recovery out of her Facebook page, because it just, there's just so much going on in that page that it's just a great stop for me on a daily basis to just kind of 
go in there and read some threads and, and just comment or, or just read. That's my favorite resource right now. Robert, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is still probably just take it day by day. God, I hate saying that because I feel such a cliche, but it, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a day by day thing. I mean, there's, there is a reason why they all say that. They, they echo that. Everybody in, in, in AA says the same thing day by day, one day at a time. And uh, a therapist always tells me that I have a really hard time with thinking, overthinking it and trying to put step eight in front of step one. So I'm really trying to take it day by day, one step at a time. And that's, uh, that's the advice that people give me. So many people give me, just stop, Robert. Stop, take it day by day and quit overthinking it. So that's the best advice that I've received is just to take it day by day. Robert, the beautiful thing about this is with only nine days of sobriety, you can still give advice to A, myself, but B, to a newcomer or a listener who's thinking about quitting drinking. So what parting piece of guidance can you give to that listener? Try not to relapse. When I first started this process, I remember thinking relapse is real normal. And it's almost like I gave myself a pass to relapse. My best advice to anybody that's thinking about quitting drinking is when you stop, don't relapse. Really don't go down this road because when you go down the road of relapsing, it's hard. God, it, you, you, you interviewed somebody not too long ago. I can't remember her name, but she, she went through that whole process of, uh, she went through several years of just relapsing and relapsing. And she kind of echoed what I'm saying as far as um, it just wears you out. It's exhausting. You're already fighting the guilt of, of drinking, and when you add on to that the guilt of relapsing, it just wears you out. It's like it's like you're on the fence, and I swear you either get off the fence, either drink, which I hate saying that, either drink or don't drink, but don't be on the fence. The relapse fence sucks, and so I guess my, my best advice to somebody that's thinking about quitting drinking is don't relapse. Don't be like me. And tell yourself that, oh, it's normal to relapse. Don't do that. Don't relapse. I promise life will be easier in recovery if you just don't relapse. So don't do it. The quote of today's interview is the relapse fence sucks. I love it. (laughs) And I know what you mean with the relapse being common for a lot of people's recovery. I was in a quick story here. I believe it was April of 2014. I was in Lima, Peru, and I Mm -hmm. found an English-speaking AA meeting. And in the meeting, I kind of said the same thing. I was like, you know what? Relapse is a part of a lot of people's story. My higher power is not saying it's my time to quit drinking. And this guy from Ireland, you could just see it in his face that he had been, you know, through a couple bars in his day, you know, probably the Guinness factory as well. He, I mean, just straight up in an Irish accent, you don't cross talk in AA, by the way. He just like, he's like, y'all, that's just total bullshit, son. You can't do that. And, and it's in a straight Irish accent. Just put me in my place. And I was like, you know what? You know, my higher power probably is right. I can't. I can't blame this. Yeah. Be like, oh, you know, relapse is fine. I can relapse. That guy just made me look like a punk, and I'm glad he did. Yeah. Uh, and last yeah. up, Robert, give uh, give listeners your personalized. You might be an alcoholic if line. Oh, I gotta go. All right. So you might be an alcoholic if. You leave your therapy session, your group therapy session, and you pull over about a quarter of a mile down the road and you get a six-pack of beer. You just might be a red. I mean, I'm redneck. You just might be an alcoholic <laughs> redneck if you do that. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah, that's great. Robert, here's what I'm going to propose. Why don't you come back every other week for like five minutes on the podcast? Is that okay? Sure. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do anything. I mean, in this whole process i'm just doing anything whatever let me figure this out and if you can help me out i'm all for it because i have so much respect for you and so i will definitely do whatever you need me to do paul no and it's helping me stay sober too robert so let's get you back on when you should have about you have nine days now you should have about you know another 15 days from now so about 24 days of sobriety we're gonna have you on a show for like a three to five to seven minute interview as well as another interviewee on the show as well but robert thank you so much for joining us thanks paul i I appreciate you uh listening to me it's kind of fun to get it out thank thank you robert i give robert a lot of credit it would have been really easy for him to not answer my email about requesting a second interview. He could have been like, no way I'm not going on that show. I can't even muster up five to six days of sobriety. What can I say that'll help somebody quit drinking? 
Well, Robert, that helps me stay sober. So thank you for that. But B, even if you don't have a lot of time of sobriety, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. You could pretty much be the poster boy for any one of those brands like Under Armour, Nike, Reebok, a famous boxing studio. Because seriously, Robert, you've gotten knocked down a lot. And I'm going to stress that again. Robert, you've gotten your ass kicked a lot by alcohol. But the difference, Robert, with you is you keep getting back up. Well, there are a lot of people out there that just simply stay down. They'll say, you know what? I tried that AA thing. I tried to quit drinking. You know, it, it, it's not that bad. And what that is, that's rationalizing that the pain and the suffering of drinking is not as bad as the pain you got to go through to quit drinking. So Robert, man, as soon as you get this thing, write a book. And I know you're going to get this thing. I made a pact with you. As soon as you get one year of sobriety, I'm flying out to visit you. We're going to go see an SEC football game, so you better get sober in the fall. I mean, seriously, guys, Robert gets knocked down 100 times. He's going to get up 101 times. If I get in a drunken bar fight, I want Robert on my side. But the best part about it is we're not going to be drunk in that bar fight. We're probably not even going to be in the bar in the first place, but you get the point. The dude is a fighter, and he's going to make it through this. I know it. Recovery Elevator, do not be a stranger. Join us in the Recovery Elevator Private Accountability Group. This group has been essential for my own sobriety. Right now, there's like 165 of us. We're bouncing ideas back and forth. We're all trying to stay sober. Go to recoveryelevator.com, and you can find information there. Click the link. Request to join. We'll add you. Don't be a stranger. Recovery Elevator, you took the gravity-assisted elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. You can do this.